Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. Today, Nick and Ann are talking with Jeff Stevens, CEO of Psyched Wellness, a Canada-based health supplements company focused on the production and distribution of artisanal, functional, and psychedelic mushrooms. At its core, Psyched Wellness is developing a line of MNTM Muscaria-derived water-based extracts, teas, and capsules designed to help with three health objectives, to promote stress relief and relaxation, and to assist with restful sleeping. With increased interest in plant-based wellness alternatives to pharmacological treatments for health issues such as insomnia, depression, and anxiety, Psyched Wellness and its work with the MNTM Muscaria mushroom are part of a larger push within the psychedelic space to transform mental health care. Now on to our conversation with Jeff Stevens of Psyched Wellness. Jeff Stevens of Psyched Wellness, thank you so much for joining us today. That's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for taking the time and look forward to sharing with your audience a little bit about Psyched Wellness. Of course, and, and we'll jump into psych wellness in uh, in just a second. But you know, first off, just tell us where you're calling in from, and you know how you've been holding up over the pandemic. How are what are you doing to keep yourself sane? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> that's a great question. Based here <laughs> where in Toronto, are you so sane? Finally, finally getting some. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that that would be a question to ask my wife. Um, but yeah, we're based in <laughs> based in Toronto. We're starting to get some of the the winter snow, uh, so you know, it's starting to feel a little more normal in that respect. We had a late winter, but. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, work from home is not new to me, but sharing sharing the work from home space with my wife uh, is a little bit uh, new and challenging. And our kids were, work, you know, doing school from home as well. But uh, I think we found a groove and certainly uh, getting to know each other's workday a little better. It is always funny to hear your partner on, you know, on work calls. Like I, there was a meme going around and being like, oh my God, I didn't know my husband was the circle back to that guy. <laughs> like you just hear them in like such a different world. It's interesting. It is. It, that is so true. And, and I, you know, my wife and I were talking, and I, I really have, I always respected you as a professional and obviously as my, my wife and my partner, but I really uh, listening to her on the phone and how she handles herself is uh, I was really impressed to see it. So I didn't doubt it, but just hearing it and seeing it live was, was really kind of fun. Yeah. I love that. She didn't say the same about me though. I don't know. I don't know how that worked. (laughs) Yeah. You did some deep fishing for that compliment too. It sounds like. (laughs) That's right. I I thought I, I thought I placed it up pretty well, but wow. She, okay. Uh, Well, okay. So now, um, you know, can you tell our listeners, you know, we're doing a lot more, um, you know, this is a typically a cannabis podcast, but we are finding that um, our, our listeners are, are increasingly interested in the psychedelic space. So can you tell our listeners, what psych wellness does and where you fit in with the current ecosystem? Yeah, for sure. Um, we're really proud of, of psych wellness and sort of how we've positioned the company to, to participate and be a part of sort of this the modern renaissance of psychedelics, but also to be a little bit different than our peer group. And uh, I'll get into that. But, you know, we really focused on creating a team that was, that was uh, capable of, of taking it from you know, a startup into, you know, being one of the serious players in the space. 
And and to do that, we felt it was important, not just on the management side, but on the board and advisory to, to really position the company to have depth in, in multiple verticals. So our chairman, for example, Mike Niederhoff, he's the president of Jewel Labs Canada. He's a consumer packaged good rock star, if you will. He was one of the first 10 employees with Red Bull Canada on the sales and marketing side. So really strong and, and deep relationships on the consumer packaged good side. Uh, we also have Professor David Nutt on our board, who is uh, you know, a professor at Imperial College UK. He's the chair of the scientific advisory board for Compass Pathways and is uh, you know, considered to be one of the top five thought leaders in, in the psychedelic industry at this time. Uh, so it's key to have him from a scientific side and helping us lead our team as we go forward on our preclinical studies. And then we also have Terry Booth on our board, who, uh, wow. who doesn't need much of an uh, introduction familiar. to your audience, I'm sure. <laughs> give give yeah, everyone yeah, a, so, quick, a quick overview on uh, on Terry. T- Terry's fantastic. Like He obviously is one of the pioneers in the cannabis space uh, with Aurora Cannabis. Um, he's He's able to provide us with so much insight, both on on some of the pitfalls that happened with cannabis, but also, you know, the relationships that he's fostered over the years with various, you know, capital markets and banking teams and, and uh, insight into, you know, people to talk to from a funding side. So it's been a real great sort of asset to have him available to us. And he was a large part in how we were able to secure a uh, bought deal financing with Canaccord recently that we just closed. So um, we're really pleased to have him on our team. And then another member of our board is Nick Kadish, who also works at Jewel Labs, but he's a government affairs, uh, he's the head of government affairs for Jewel. And uh, he's been really key in helping my COO, David Schizel, lead the preclinical studies because, you know, at the end of that study, our goal is to apply to the FDA for new dietary ingredient and Health Canada for natural health product number. So it's really important that everything that we're doing with our CRO partner is you know dotting the i's crossing the t's so that when we make those applications uh, we haven't missed anything so we've got a really good team up top working with management to ensure as we move this you know the project forward and the company forward um, we're doing that so that we can achieve our goals which is to get a consumer packaged good product on the shelves can you so can that's, you uh, that's a high level can you talk about the difference between those two applications so are they functionally the same thing they're just called different things one in the u.s and in canada Effectively, yeah. So, so what's really unique and differentiator between psych wellness and some of our peers in the sector, the mushroom that we're working with is called Amanita muscaria. So that's the red and white mushroom cap. It's likely the emoji on most of your phones, the mushroom from the Super Mario Brothers or for Alice in Wonderland. So pop culture's done a great job branding the mushroom. People all recognize it, but they don't actually know that it's that's the psychoactive mushroom, and uh, and it's never been classified as a scheduled one drug. So where we're able to move a little more efficiently uh, than our peers is we don't have to go through the red tape of dealing with a scheduled one drug when we're doing our research and and development on that side. We're able to just work with it because it's classified as a food. So the end goal for us initially with the FDA NDI and Health Canada NHPN is to get a health supplement product on the market. Uh, So our, our path to being able to have you know, products in the market and, and generate revenue is significant faster than our peer group because, you know, at the end of these studies, within the next year, we should be in a position to start marketing a product. Can, can you go a little bit deeper on Amanita muscaria? You know, what's, what's some of the history of it and, and what are the, the qualities of it that, that make it different than, say, a psilocybin? Like, how is it able to avoid this schedule one uh, scheduling? Yeah, those are great questions. 
the history is really fascinating. So it's been used for, for centuries by various indigenous groups and, and the uh, shamans, specifically the Siberian shamans. And, and there is some theories that if you look at the historical use of Amanita with the Siberian shaman, that's sort of the, the root of the whole story of Santa Claus. And uh, that's probably a, a topic Ooh. for a whole podcast on its own. Yeah, what? But, you know, if, you, if, any of your, <laughs> if any of your listeners are interested in that, um, you know, we can dive deeper into it because it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I mean, can you top line so that one for us? <laughs> well, so the Siberian shamans uh, typically were dressed in, in red robes. They they were the seniors, the elders in the community. And throughout the, the winter months, they would go to their to their communities and they would provide them with this Amanita drink that it, this kind of sounds a little bit gross, but the reindeers were quite fond of Amanita mushrooms. And uh, the shamans would pick them and hang them in the pine trees to dry. So if you think about Christmas with the ornaments, typically red and mm. such hanging from pine trees. So they would hang them in the pine trees to dry. And then the, the reindeer would eat them because they quite enjoyed them. But this is where it gets a little weird. And, uh, you know, by no means are we looking to do this process. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the shaman would collect the reindeer urine in these leather sacks that look like socks. And then they would deliver those to the people in the community and it would be a festive drink that they would take and have a, you know, a psychoactive inebriated type experience. Um, so it's, it's a little bit, <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot more depth to it. And definitely took a turn. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is. I know it's a little bit much to, to digest, but there's, you know, there are some experts on it who can go deeper into, you know, more and more of how, you know, in, in Siberia at this time, Typically, they were snowed in, so you had to go in through the chimney. So the shaman would come in in his red robe through your chimney and hang this stocking of Amanita urine, and then there would be a celebration. And and so it's kind of it is weird, but there's some similarities there that people have been able to connect some dots. Um, you know, it's it, again long, long storied in history, um, but it's it, what's really unique. The second part of your question, you know, you're talking about what's different with Amanita versus you know, say magic mushrooms, for example, uh, it's, it only grows in the pine forest. So it's symbiotic to the pine forest. It has to be in that environment. Um, and the active compound that we're after is called muscimol. And, and the experience that you have from it is more similar to being inebriated. So it's a, it's a different effect than what a magic mushroom would give you in that trip sense. Um, but there's also anecdotal use of this being used for people suffering from sleep and insomnia, from pain. And, and more recently, people anecdotally are talking about using it to help them get off of benzos and, and kick some addictions. So there are some really great uh, potential medicinal qualities of this compound. And as we work with the mushroom and our team works with it, we will explore those as we go along for sure. Okay. I have still many questions. Um, <laughs> and I can just hear like the collective, you know, far right Christian organizations like shuddering at this conversation, but I'm okay with that. Um, so <laughs> we're, we're not suggesting, we're not suggesting that the Christmas holiday, we're just suggesting that the, the, no, I know the spirit of uh, like, the Santa, Santa Claus itself. Right. No, no, yeah. no. I get it. I just, it's, you know, it's fascinating to me to see how these traditions kind of, um, filter through, through different times and, and, you know, cultural references and, and all of that stuff. I find it fascinating. Um, so, okay. So how, I want to talk a little bit how the entrepreneurial side of you, how did you come to lead this company and what made you, um, interested in the industry itself? 
Yeah. So uh, I started out of university. I started working in the brokerage business and uh, over the course of 16 to 18 years, uh, I was institutional sales and trading for various boutique shops in, in Canada. Um, about six years ago, I took the leap and left the sales desk and moved over to the issuer side, or as we called it back then, moving to the dark side. <laughs> um, so over the course of the last sort of six years, I've been involved with a number of different private companies taking the public, raising the money, the deal structuring, uh, being you know president, CEO, the face of the company. And then when this opportunity arose uh, through some mutual contacts of myself and some friends, um, it was sort of the first opportunity for me to take on a full CEO role, but uh, I felt that I was ready for it. And uh, I sort of witnessed, a, you know, witnessed the cannabis sort of 10 year process. And a lot of the, a lot of the similarities, well, a lot of what was happening in psychedelics felt similar to early days of, of cannabis yet with a twist. And uh, so when I was approached by this team, I said, yeah, I'd be very interested, uh, especially when we're able to attract you know, some key talent like Terry and, and Professor Nutt, it really helped bring it all together. Um, so I'm very passionate about the, this subject matter. I think that the psychedelic industry is going to change the way we treat various mental health and physical health issues. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of demand for non-addictive uh, treatments. And, and I think that we're just beginning to sort of explore what these various compounds can do for people who are suffering. So it's, it's, uh, it's great to be early on in this sector. What's really special for us is again, we're, you know, working with Amanita Muscaria, we're the only public company I'm aware of that's working with this mushroom and is working with that compound muscimol. Um, you know, we've gone through, we've done a toxicology assessment. We've done all the science background. As I said, we're in our preclinical studies now and uh, we've trademarked our application. So we've got a, uh, a protocol for the extraction that's unique to to what we're doing and what our end goal is. So we're really excited. It's science driven. I think there's a huge market where people are looking for some alternative, some natural alternatives to their health issues. And uh, I think we'll be able to provide them. Let, let's expand more on the the research and the preclinicals that you're doing. Can you can you provide more details about you know where you guys are at within the R&D process and, you know, being that um, Amanita Muscaria is not schedule one. Is there an opportunity for you guys to look at over the counter um, types ways of working with customers? Yeah. So those are great questions. I think when you look at initially, if you were to do a Google search, uh, Amanita Muscaria has been mislabeled as poisonous. And that's one of the reasons that we're the only company dealing with it. We actually, you know, took the time, rolled up our sleeves, did the work of the science and determined that um, although it does have some, some nasty compounds in it, being ibotenic acid and muscarine, um, you know, through our extraction process, we're able to convert that ibotenic acid into muscimol, which is the compound that we're after. And, and muscarine is at such a low level that it's, uh, you know, th there's no effect for human consumption. So, you know, it was really important for us to, to do that science to ensure that, you know, we could go through this process and end up with a safe for human consumption products. So we've done, we've done that work. As I said, the preclinical studies, we're working with the very reputable uh, contract research organization out of uh, Ontario and their sister organization in India, where our, our preclinical and our rodent testing is happening. Um, and that's a that's a 10 month process. So it's a very, you know, this is a very serious study. Again, we're the only company in modern day that has worked with Amanita. So we don't have, you know, years of scientific data to pull from and use as a base. We're actually, we're blazing that trail. So Others will likely take what we've done and use that as a foundation if they're going to get into Amanita. Um, so that gives us a year head start, but it also 
makes it so that we have to do all that work from the very beginning. You know, we're going to go through, we'll get our, our dosage range, the safety efficacy, you know, we'll do a 90 day oral toxicity study, pre-submission meetings with both the FDA and Health Canada, neurobehavioral studies, shelf life studies. It's a, it's a very, in, very detailed process, but again, it's so important to have that because this is the foundation off which we can then take this compound and look at other opportunities. Let's keep building on that. You know, you talked about this 10 month process, you know, how do you, where do you see psych wellness growing into, you know, you, you have a lot obviously that you're going to be um, uh, handling over the next couple of months with the preclinicals and getting everything built up. You know, where do you, where do you see this going and what has you most excited about this whole process? I'm really, uh, you know, I think the opportunity for us, certainly we're, we're very focused on the health and wellness product because uh, I think when you look at the sector, there's some really great work happening. And, you know, I always preface it with, we're not competing with, with our peer group. We're all doing good work to try to solve, you know, serious mental health issues. So, you know, we're just taking a different approach and our route is a, is a route to revenue versus, uh, you know, a three to six year clinical trial. Um, you know, we, we applaud the work that's being done on those other chemicals and compounds and, and through the phase one, two, and three trials. But for us, it was how, you know, we, as a small company, we can't really compete with Peter Thiel and his money and his ability to move things forward. How do we navigate and how do we have an impact in this sector? And so that's where it was sort of, let's focus on this health and wellness side and, and get a product to market where we can start, you know, building a brand, building that sales channel. And, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about that. So as we move forward, you know, we'll be leaning on our chairman, Michael Niederhoff more, because obviously that's his background. Uh, the CPG thing will be beefing up our team so that we can, ensure that the branding, the sales and marketing, everything is, is top notch and, and we're going to attack that market in, in a very successful fashion. But I think from a sector side, you know, one of the questions I think you were going to with that is sort of how we fit in with the market. And, and I think what's happening now, if you look, you know, similar to how cannabis was, you get to the point where you have these valuations and, and then companies are, A, they've raised a lot of money. So the sector, you know, has been successful in raising capital. Valuations have increased over the last year uh, significantly, for some even more so. And I think it, we get to a point where you start to see consolidation. And for us, I think we add a very unique spin for some of those companies. And that's why, you know, we kind of feel like we have a target on our back right now. And what we're trying to do is position ourselves defensively. So that was why it was key for us to, uh, to raise the money and, and to be in a strong cash position. Um, we were recently included into the Horizon Psychedelic ETF Exchange Traded Fund. So the first psychedelic exchange traded fund, that was a huge win for us. We were one of 17 companies picked to be in that. And at the time, I believe we had the smallest market cap. So, you know, we're really looking at this. We, we have a team that we can take this to the next level. We want to do that, but we're cognizant of sort of where this, where the cycle is and where the sector is. And so we're trying to be defensive in that respect as well, because I think I think we can do more for our shareholders um, if we can just continue to drive this forward on our own. I mean, I have to imagine that when you guys were included in that ETF, that was a huge um, uh, moment of um, uh, recognition of the of not just you guys, but also of the industry, of the fact that the market found it so interesting and innovative and, and such a growth market that they decided to, to pull together an ETF. Um, were you surprised? at that or, or was it something that you think has been a long time coming? No, I was very surprised. So, you know, if you look back sort of 
and I, I, I sort of compare the cannabis and the, and the psychedelic sector just because they're both building sort of, new, you know, pioneering a new sector in the, in the public markets. Um, it took years, you know, initially for the cannabis sector, it was a bunch of entrepreneurs who were being opportunistic and, and trying to, you know, position themselves for if and when those laws changed and, and do it. And it was sort of bootstrapping for the first couple of years. Um, whereas if you look at the, the psychedelic industry, we started with some of the biggest names and money backing these companies privately and then taking them public in the first year of this sort of public uh, frenzy for this sector. And, and that's a very that's a very key di differentiator in my view, because it shows you that there's a pharma path that people believe that that there is a, uh, you know, this isn't a, oh, maybe we can, or let's prove to the world that this works. There's, there's some big money, there's some big names behind it. Um, and then having ETFs start within that first year again, I think is, is a real sort of boost of confidence to the market that, you know, this is not sort of a, a high risk. It could be gone tomorrow. Like legislation is changing. You're seeing that uh, city by city, state by state. Canada has been doing that as well with the compassion, changing the laws for compassionate use. And uh, I think we're going to see that continued. So from my perspective, I'm very excited about it for sure. I have a follow up there. So do you see almost a con like, you know, you were saying that, you know, it's taken like 10 years for the for the cannabis space to kind of um, be where it is in terms of market value valuations. And, and I know that it's been legally a different path. Um, but do you think that um, that we're going to see more things like M&A and 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 stuff like that start to happen in the industry? Are we, are we going to see that faster in psychedelics than we than we saw in cannabis? I think so. I think, well, you, you know, you already have about, what, two, two companies over a billion dollar valuation, probably there's about five sort of in that 150 to, to a billion. Um, and I think it's fantastic that, that those companies are able to, to get that much market support because obviously, you know, your, your market caps generally don't start there. They go there with the market in enthusiasm. Um, and they've been able to raise capital that de-risks their, their clinical studies and the work that they're doing. So I think, you know, you do get to a point where valuation gets to a level where management teams say, well, how do we, how do we maintain this? How do we grow this valuation? And, and then it becomes sort of a consolidation uh, factor. And then it becomes, okay, well, what are the credible ones? Where do they, where do they add value to what we currently have as either a bolt on and an add on to our strategy or positioning us so that we have something unique to what our core is that will, you know, provide value to our shareholders um, and not take away from the focus of what we're on. So I think there's, I think that we will, I think over the next six to 12 months, we'll start to see some M&A happen. Uh, and again, that's for us sort of recognizing that we fit in a different box of the sector, if you will. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to be a little bit defensive because, you know, we'd, we'd like to get, We'd like to build the company more before before anything happens, uh, because we do think that we have something unique that adds value, uh, a path to revenue with the psychoactive compound. Um, you know, the, the science has been validated by by our team, by our CRO. Um, you know, we've been validated to some degree by being included into that ETF. And I think for for us as a company, that was key, where people said, "Oh, we we should pay attention to these guys. We haven't heard of Amanita before, but." They, they're one of 17 companies that were put into an ETF, so we should roll up our sleeves. So, you know, since then, since that time, I've had a, a lot of phone calls from, you know, various analysts and, and portfolio managers who are trying to trying to understand it better. So, yeah, we're very excited about 
the next six to 12 months for the sector and, and to see how it unfolds. I love how forward looking you are about all this, Jeff, because for this next question, I'm going to ask you to take out your crystal ball and, and give us some predictions here. You know, the end of last year, it was uh, 2020 was the year of the magic mushroom. Ann and I have kind of reached a consensus that we actually think that that was just the beginning, that the entire psychedelic space is going to just see a lot of growth and movement here in 2021. So I'm wondering, you know, from all different kinds of factors, whether it be the, the, the uh, capital markets, policy, research, and data, you know, what kind of predictions or expectations do you have for, for 2021 and even beyond that for, for the growth of the psychedelic space? Well, I agree with both of you. I think we're at the very, you know, we're in the early innings of this, of this. And uh, I think that we have tremendous growth opportunity. You've got, you've got states, city states and, and countries looking at, at how they've treated uh, you know, the war on drugs and recognizing that it hasn't worked. And, and now looking at how do we, how do we treat our, our, you know, our citizens better and, and not incarcerate them for something that they have a disease and they're addicted to, or, you know, the, um, so I think from a, from a legislation standpoint, there's pressure to make some changes. I think when you have groups like, uh, you know, the war veterans and you've got professional sports teams, whether it's UFC or retired hockey players like, uh, like Dan Carcillo, who are, who are starting this movement and getting involved and bringing other people into it. You know, you've got, you've got that sort of whole pressure on the system as well, where that stigma changes. So those are two big things that have to change, I think, for the psychedelic sector to grow and it's happening and it's happening early and it's happening at speed. So I think we're early on. I think there's some really exciting days ahead. Um, again, you can't underestimate the impact of having, you know, Warren Buffett, Peter Thiel investing in the space like that. That brings a lot of other eyeballs into it. A Thai life going public shortly, I think, will be another great catalyst for the sector. It's going to bring a lot more of that sort of sleepier money to the table, I think, because it's just, you know, from what I've heard anyways, in the last financing, there's some some. Uh, portfolio managers and, and funds in that that you wouldn't expect to see at this time in the cycle. So I think it's moving quicker. Uh, cannabis obviously had a great impact in it, and it showed tremendous opportunity from the investment side. And I think some of the funds that didn't participate in it early are, are taking a different approach on the psychedelic side. And again, because it's coming from a pharma side first and going that route, it makes it easier for them. And the U.S. audience, you know, they're you guys are huge pharma investors and, and you understand that market really well. So I think that's another reason that we see that early adoption. You know, one thing that you brought up earlier and I think is very interesting, especially when you compare psychedelics to cannabis is, is how much all these psychedelics companies are either working together or noting the encouraging signs that of growth in the research that these their competitors essentially are doing and growing within the space, which I think is in stark contrast with the cannabis industry as cannabis industry at times can feel so so cutthroat and just like a race to, you know, do this next thing, do this next thing. But it seems like it's a lot more collaborative in the psychedelic space. Can you talk about, you know, just, just why that is? Yeah, I think, well, you know, I, I can talk about why our approach is that way. Um, and I can speculate uh -huh. on others, but uh, you know, the way we look at it is this is, this is for the general good of society and, and the rising tide is going to lift all the ships. So you want to support everyone in this sector 
in what they're doing because a we all have a, a bigger stronger voice collectively than as individual silos and you do need to change stigma and you do need to change legislation now we don't specifically because we're not dealing with the scheduled one drug we're not dealing with a restricted compound but we are still part of that sector and so it you know it behooves us to be part of that solution and and to help where we can with with their peers as as they're trying to do that so they're part of the voice but i think that's it like if you look at you know if one company were trying to do this alone, it, it just wouldn't happen. It, you know, you wouldn't have the ability to make that impact. You wouldn't get the mainstream media attention. You wouldn't be able to uh, successfully go out and get high profile individuals or organizations backing you and working with you because, you know, it's, it's hard as, as one company just to run the business, let alone do that side of it as well. So I think, I think it's very important that, that, the, that the sector has, has sort of worked together on this. Um, I know that anytime I've been involved in a conference and, and talking with my panelists, um, you know, there's a lot of interest in, in what we're doing. I'm obviously interested in what they're doing on their compounds, whether it be psilocybin or LSD. Um, you know, there's so much exciting stuff happening on the science side. Um, and for me personally, having Professor Nutt on my team and be able to talk to him is fantastic because he's just got such a depth of knowledge that, you know, He's working on alcohol that, you know, you don't get hangovers on. He's working with with uh, compass pathways and, and spending time with us. So, you know, I don't know how he has the hours in the day, but I'm glad he I'm glad he cars them out for us every day. What do you think is the biggest untold story about psychedelics? Like, what's the story you want to you want to see on tomorrow's front page of the Globe and Mail? That's a great question. Um, Thanks. Obviously, I'd like to see psych well. I'd like to see psych wellness on the front page. But uh, no, we're I think, working on it. You know, as uh, <laughs> I think, as the sector itself, uh, it, it really just is so important for us to be able to remove the stigma, and that takes time, uh, and it takes you know positive positive results from from you know the science side because this is all very science driven. Um, you know, I think there's there's some really cool. You know, we had a conversation once uh, with another group and they said, oh, this there is no recreational market for this. It doesn't exist. And I said, well, that's kind of short sighted because, you know, it has existed and, and it still exists today. There's a large community that enjoys uh, psychedelics and you're talking about them to some degree when you say anecdotally people have been doing this. So, you know, the, I think I think the right way to look at it is the future for this is is through the science and and but you need to recognize that there is a recreational side to it and i think like cannabis if we get to a point where you can legalize these and 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 have products available to people in a legal route you take out risk factors that that society is better off without so there's a couple things there i i, I don't give you a clear answer i guess but I think, it was a I heck of a dodge though has a lot of work no i'm just kidding yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, and I, uh, and it's just, I'm well, sorry, Jeff, one, one yeah. other just kind of comment or question. I do think it's interesting um, how, how different companies are approaching the adult use, um, you know, kind of legalization or um, decrim, at least. I mean, we had a, a I'm in California and there was a, a bill yesterday introduced, a decrim bill for um, most psychedelics. Um, so, I mean, I think there there is that movement going forward. And, and, you know, there are some companies, you know, some of our clients who are like, I don't want I don't want to touch that because, you know, what I, what I want to focus on is, um, is the science and, and, and getting the, you know, this research done and underway. And I don't want to kind of get into the mix of, um, 
of the the legalization and the movement there. Um, so I I don't know. I think it's just I think it's interesting your take on it. Yeah, well, no, I like I agree. I think I think for the sector itself, where we're going, it's science driven. Um, but I think you know we have to respect and recognize that there has been decades of of recreational use and and people who have done like similar to cannabis, where they did that heavy lifting for so many years as small groups trying to you know change laws, change legislation, allow compassionate use. Um, and, and so I think it's important to, to not just ignore that past. Yeah. I guess that's sort of where I'm looking mm-hmm. at it. Yep. hundred percent agree. Um, well, Jeff, this has been great. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today to talk about psyched wellness. We'd love to have you on, um, you know, six, seven months down the line, just get an update on, you know, where the company's at and how you guys are growing, but thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I would welcome the opportunity. It was a pleasure guys. Thanks so much and have a great weekend. Special thanks to Jeff Stevens, CEO of Psyched Wellness. You can learn more about his company and follow along with their progress at psyched-wellness.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening to The Green Rush. If you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. Shoot us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com and make sure you subscribe to The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher, whether it be Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, any of it. Um, always looking forward to your feedback, reviews, and guest ideas. And thanks again for listening. That's one take, Shay. One take.